This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome once again to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Today, we're going to be transporting ourselves to the distant past, the wonderful year of 2004, to talk about Spider-Man 2. The only 2004? Man, feels like it was for, like, forever ago, but at the same time, it was forever ago. Weird. Time flies. Anyway, time flies when you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so, quick warning, we have a spoiler alert. Just in case you're wanting a spoiler-free, in-depth conversation, this isn't the place for you. And Genesis will be glad to tell you about it right now. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thanks, Jen. We really appreciate that. All right. So, where do we pick up from Spider-Man 1? It's a couple years after the events of Spider-Man 1, and Peter has settled in being Spider-Man, but... Things in his personal life are kind of falling apart. His grades are starting to slip, he's struggling to hold out a job, and he's facing eviction. On top of Aunt May, also facing eviction. And also, MJ is really not happy with him. Which, I mean, dude, just, I don't know. Like, it's very painful to watch him just make a complete mess of his personal life. But that is the whole point of Peter Parker. Um, Harry is now the head of Oscorp, and he's funding Dr. Otto Octavius in a project involving fusion, sustainable energy. <clears throat> Peter is actually at school supposed to be writing a paper about Dr. Octavius, and Harry offers to introduce him as his friend and as Octavius's main benefactor. A little bit of pull, why don't I induce you to? And they end up going and meeting him, and Octavius is taken with Peter and thinks he's very intelligent and thinks that he's brilliant, but lazy, (laughs) as his teacher, Dr. Connors, had told him. Uh, Peter's then invited to the demonstration for Reactor, and uh, at this time, Octave also unveils another project that he was working to aid with an experiment, and it's these four robotic arms. And he explains that each arm has its own AI and is intelligent the arms themselves are virtually indestructible, resistant heat and magnetism, and he's controlling them directly with several spikes straight into his spine. Watching those needles sink into his spine does not get easier to see with time. Oh my god. Like, there's nothing about this entire scene that really should fly in the face of anything. Like, first and foremost, you don't bring strangers, much less people not on your team, um to the first demonstration of your experiment like oh yeah it'll work doesn't fly at all (laughs) you need to like test it and test it and test it again and there's like none of that it's just oh yeah we're gonna kick this on for the first time we're gonna show our sponsors that we've been hard at work and hey it might kill us all but who's counting i sure hope a certain web-headed wall crawler 
day. Um, As expected, I think, you know, um, the experiment goes sideways and Peter realizes very quickly that things are not going as they're supposed to because, as mentioned prior, Peter's brilliant. He's an incredibly intelligent person and science is one of his really, really strong um, academic achievements. He's a very good scientist and with everything that's happening in the room, he analyzes very quickly that something's off with the Octavius's calculus, and the whole room is at risk of imploding on itself, and people are starting to get thrown into walls, and uh, during the reactor mishap, a glass window explodes, killing Octavius's wife. Um, so she dies, and Octavius ends up getting electrocuted, and you know, the reactor blows and the experiment is completely destroyed. And uh, Harry is obviously upset uh, because Spider-Man swooped in and saved the day and ended up saving his life. And he goes and he says, you know, How this doesn't he? change anything. You still killed my father. <laughs> oh, Harry. Uh, yeah. Classic best friend hates you but doesn't realize it trope. It's amazing. Um, during the meltdown... Octavius's inhibitor chip, which keeps the AI of the arms from controlling him, is severely damaged. And he ends up kind of fleeing the scene, ends up going down to the harbor to this abandoned shipyard-type building and hiding out there as crazy mad scientists with robot arms do um, at the Daily Bugle. <laughs> I mean, doesn't he, doesn't he, like, slaughter a bunch of doctors yeah, first? Yeah, yeah, he... Uh, those arms caused <laughs> our poor guy to go a little bit AWOL. Um, yeah. They very yeah. quickly make it known that Octavius is not in control anymore. They're basically dragging around his meat suit. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a meat sock puppet attached to four metal tentacle arms. Walking down the street. It's like, uh, it's like taking your fish for a walk. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Uh. It's like the worst version of Weekend at Bernie's ever. It's kind of illegal, because it probably is. Uh, Oof. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Octavius also robs a bank, and uh, Spider-Man goes to fight him, and then the the Daily Bugle runs a a smear campaign, basically saying that Spider-Man was also involved in the bank robbing. Um, You think... I don't know, like, the Daily Bugle prides itself on, like, running actual news. So, for for Jay, Jonah, to just toe that line to nearly just being a gossip rag is, I don't know, he should know better. He should have better pride in his work than to be a sensationalist rather than, uh, uh to, to, sorry, not, he should have better more pride in being a news reporter than being a sensationalist. Oh, absolutely. He's, you know, he's mostly just out to make a bad name for vigilantism because he doesn't agree with what Spider-Man's doing despite the good that it does do. And you, you see it later on in the film when um, Spidey's not really around. There's a massive spike in the crime rate because there's no one preventing the bad people from going about their business. Uh, but we'll get there. Yep. Uh, Peter continually fails to meet obligations after this and it's all directly linked to him being spider-man he's constantly drawn away by some danger or some police siren and that prevents him from being there for the disappoints mary jane disappoints aunt may and he's not there for his best friend and this all 
comes to a head for Peter when MJ tells him that he's her supposed best friend, but he can't make it. And obviously she doesn't know that he's Spider-Man, but it doesn't really matter to her. He's promised that he would be there for her, but he never shows up. And then she tells him that she's seeing something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and it... <laughs> things get awkward for poor Peter awfully fast. Um, he... Because she trades up pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. I mean, this guy, the actor, did, what, Vampire Diaries? And he's a good-looking dude. <laughs> um, yeah. As a straight woman, I will tell you completely honestly if my choices were Jameson Jr. or Peter Parker. I'm going to go with the guy who has biceps the size of my <laughs> uh, I So, yeah, uh, MJ goes from poor nerd who can't keep a, a date and time to uh, astronaut and colonel and oh right the son of a major newspaper uh, newspaper uh, publisher man real hard decision there it's like, oh no you're handsome super rich and completely into me oh no what am I to do <laughs> choices choices um, Peter then ends up kind of losing his mojo. He's thinking about you know, all of his interactions, people that he cares about, and he's swinging through New York, and then clunk. Nothing happens. He goes to shoot a web and nothing happens. <laughs> and watching him fall from however high up he was and hit the ground, while we know he can <laughs> land hard and still get back up, man, did that make my back hurt. <laughs> Watching this man ping off the side of buildings and over railings. Yikes and ouch. And I hope his stuntman got paid extra that day. Well, uh, I mean, speaking of that, uh, that scene's actually really funny because McGuire was in serious talks with with Fox at the time um, because he already, his back was already injured um, from, I, I don't remember what, but... He already so his back's already in considerable pain, and he had to get he had to get a bunch of doctor's letters and everything to kind of prove that he wasn't uh, faking it all to, to get more money. And on the sidelines, <laughs> they had Jake Gyllenhaal uh, <laughs> as an understudy, waiting just in case they oh fired McGuire. <laughs> and so that scene where uh, I guess it comes up later. Uh, he says, like, I'm back, I'm back, and then he falls, and then he comes out going, my back, my back! That's that's them kind of poking fun at this thing that was going on behind the scenes. But, yeah. And we, uh, we won't see could've... Jake Gyllenhaal in a Spider-Man movie for a long time. <laughs> right? But, yeah, so, I, I mean, that's, that's another funny connection for later. But, yeah, for this, the other, like, funny part is at the time, Dunst was dating Gyllenhaal. Oh, so the on-screen chemistry wouldn't have been affected at all. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Depends <laughs> on how the relationship's going. Right. But anyway, so yeah, we've got Spidey losing his mojo. We've got uh, Harry losing his mind. Um, and also you've got MJ, like, trying to, like, recreate that amazing Spider-Man kiss from the first movie, Upside Down in the Rain there. So, like, everyone's... Everyone's trying to figure out their lives, which is one of the things I love about Spider-Man movies. Like, 
we're going to see this when we get later into the show, but there's not a whole lot of new characters here, but that's because we get to really dive into the characters that were already established. That is one of the best things about not having a, a, an ensemble team like the X-Men, where you have to constantly divide up your time. You can really get into MJ's life or Harry's life or Peter's life, and it really adds to the richness and characterization there. Anyway, I'm off topic kind of sort of where were we so, in the movie? uh peter is selling photos to the daily bugle and then jameson tells him that his society photographer's out and that peter has the gig he has no choice he's got to be at this event he's like, it's eight o'clock it's at this place and you're going to be there and you're going to be taking pictures because it's a big deal it's a party in celebration of his son the astro <laughs> So right. we, go, we go to this event, and Peter is constantly snubbed of all food, alcohol, and the girl that he likes, and the ability to be a photographer. He's going to take pictures of these people. He's still got his lens cap on. It's just not his night. Um, and then on top of that, you know, towards the end of the party, there's no big deal made about it. We never see this scene happen. Uh, Jameson's son, the astronaut, just says, I just I just wanted to let everyone know that MJ has agreed to marry me. Um, personally, would have loved to see... Heartbreak. I would have uh, loved to see maybe a different framing, like Peter witnessing an actual proposal, not just hearing that the proposal happened. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and this movie is 18 years old. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's see. After, you know, Peter has this heartbreak, and he... He's quit. He decides he's going to quit being Spider-Man and he's ignoring all of the bad going on around him. He ignores muggings and alleyways, police sirens, all of it, and tries to focus on being Peter Parker. He has to go back to wearing glasses. He's focusing back on his studies. He's starting to do better in school and he's starting to actually be able to have time for his friends. He shows up. He finally gets to see MJ's and, you know, things are looking up for him in his personal life, but then you know, he's got to live with the guilt, I think, about having the power to do more and choosing what to do. It's like Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. Yep. Octavius is building his new... He's robbed a bank. He's killed a lot of people. He's stolen a lot of stuff. And the last thing he needs is more tritium, which is the isotope that set off the first reaction. But instead of the tiny little marble that he wanted or that he got for the first experiment the first run he wants the rest of it and i think they said there's only like 25 pounds of it on the entire earth a very Uh, small amount of it and harry's got the rest of it locked up at his mansion um which also want to want to call into question this man just had an like what has proven itself to be a kind of unstable isotope capable of being part of a reaction that could create self-sustaining energy in an uncontrolled fashion. Mans is keeping it in a combination safe behind a painting on his wall. Yeah. I mean, as a what as reagent storage goes, that one uh that one fails. Uh, but as we've noted at the start of this, this whole movie hasn't taken any kind of safety measure seriously. That's how all the people died Wait, in the opening Sir, I act. think that's an OSHA violation. <laughs> uh, it's, it's several. It's several the violations. Might even mean violation of the Geneva Conventions. Not really sure. I've got I questions, and who okayed this? 
Also, Harry, do you need a hug? My guy, you've not been sober this entire film. Uh, yeah, Harry's in need of an AA group and, like, and, well, a best friend to actually be there. But his best friend's off being the man he hates the most in the world. So, that's the universe So, for Octavius you. shows up at the mansion to get the rest of the tree. And Harry, and, you know, Harry goes, no, I'm not giving it to you. You almost killed us all the last time, you hack. And then Octavius threatens to throw him off the top of the building, and that changes his tune awfully fast. I mean, it would kind of change so my too, tune yeah. too. Can't so. really blame him as he's drunk <laughs> and being dangled over the side of the building. He says, "All right, all right, all right. I'll give it. I'll give you everything that you want, but you gotta kill Spider-Man." Actually, no. Bring Spider-Man to me. I want him alive. Uh, Octavius asks him, "How do I find him?" And knowing that Peter takes a lot of pictures of Spider-Man, he tells Octavius to go after. Him. Of course, he knows exactly who Peter Parker is, and he goes after him. Small oh, world yeah. New York Super is. Super small world. <laughs> uh, Octavius goes after Peter, and... Who's having a lovely lunch date with the girl of his dreams. Completely putting his and foot in his mouth. as he's trying to, like, oh, oh yeah, right up right up to about <laughs> mid-shin there. Just, just uh, <laughs> get it into the knee and then, and then, and then bite down. <laughs> but yeah, Octavius kind of comes in and we do the real cool you know slow-mo bit i think they used that for the trailers uh with the car through the window i'll admit that that scenes like cinematography is really good the use of uh, the reflective shattered glass and all that like it's really good it actually doesn't look uh, terrible for but yeah yeah no it's still it's still pretty good all things considered yeah this movie's overall was actually really good and we can t- discuss that mm-hmm. you know, later um but yeah he peter does the spidey sense thing, jumps out of the way, saves the girl, and then has to go after Dr. Octopus. Uh, uh, Octavius tells Peter, you know, you've got until three o'clock to tell Spider-Man to meet me at this location, and until then I'm going to take your little girlfriend. And he captures MJ. Because the girlfriend is always the damsel in distress. Peter's going to go after her, and he doesn't really have to... Go find Spider-Man, because he is Spider-Man. Uh, he goes and steals his suit back, which was at the Daily Bugle, because the trash man sold it to Jameson. And Jameson is lamenting about the crime rate and saying that he pushed Spider-Man away and caused him to quit because of all the news articles he ran. And then his tune immediately changes when Spidey swoops in and steals his suit back. And Spidey leaves him a cute little note. <laughs> yeah. But you got to admit, J. Jonah just didn't know what to do with himself after Spidey quit. So to have his nemesis back, it relit that fire that he needed to keep putting out trash. Yeah, yeah. So Spidey goes to the harbor to confront Dr. Octopus. And I got to say, especially for 2004, the CGI in this fight actually still impressed me. You know, having mm-hmm. the, the building yeah. coming down around while they're fighting and watching how they were able to work in the practical effects and the CGI stunts. I mean, there were a few moments where Spidey's kind of jumping around where he felt a little bit more like he was overlaid in the scene than actually in it. But again, this is 2004. My expectations are, you know, they are what they a film of this age. And it does still stack up. Um, you see both parties really working to their strengths. Spidey is fast and agile, and he 
jumping through debris and over things and using misdirection and his intelligence to keep ahead of Doc, Doc Ock. And Doc Ock knows that he has a good mobility and strength, adv- uh, not necessarily an advantage, but definitely a perk. He's using the spiked end tentacles to great effect. Overall, you know, this was a very dynamic and fast fight scene. The reactor starts going off and the building's really coming down. Kirsten Dunst really needed a, a better top through all of this. <laughs> that, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no shame, but I don't think I don't costuming <laughs> thought about it when they put her in a thin cotton dress and said, hey, you know, it would be even better if we drenched her in rain and ocean water. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not, but I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's kind of funny now when you think about it. And and I don't think it went unnoticed by people at the time either, where they're taking little Timmy, ten, little 10-year-old Timmy to nope. see Spider-Man, and there's just boobs. <laughs> anyway. We all like boobs. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, reactor's going crazy, and uh, Spidey's mask ends up getting ripped off, and Octavius sees that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. And he, you know, doesn't quite realize at first where he is because the tentacles have had control over his mind for quite a portion of time. Now. Um, and then Peter and Octavius are going back and forth about how to stop the reaction. They're kind of hopeless. But Octavius knows that the only way to stop the reaction is to drown it. And earlier in the film, he had even said that, you know, he and the tentacles and his... And his invention belonged at the bottom of it. And he ends up uh, going through. And he grabs the reactor, what's left of it, and he drags it down into his strength. And when Peter turns, guess who else finds out that he's Spider-Man? Just the girl of his dreams. Uh, yeah. And she then realizes why he's so non-committal and why he's been so dodgy and why he can't keep an 8 o'clock. Because crime waits for no man. True. We also finish with Harry. And then... And he's not quite okay, <laughs> to say the least. No, because he too has discovered Peter's secret. And it it breaks something in Harry that the alcohol was already doing. But we get a, we get a little bit of Defoe back in here. Because we need to remind everyone that Defoe was still part of this. Um... And Harry discovers, in a sort of drunken rage, he discovers his father's own secrets of the Green Goblin. Yeah, he sees the glider. Thus putting Harry further <laughs> further on that track towards villainy. Yeah, he's, you know, Harry never, he doesn't want to hurt Peter, but boy does he still hate Spider-Man. And he, he does struggle with this, and he is breaking. He's kind of fallen to alcoholism, and he's... Realizing that his world is not as perfect as he wants. There's no amount of money that can buy happiness. Because, you know, he dated MJ in the first film. And she wanted to be Peter. Saying, the girl that I love is in love with my best friend. And my best friend can't even have the time of day to be there for Um, And then he discovers that his father was this crazy flying guy on a glider. uh, Killing people. It's just a lot. But his hallucination urges him to avenge his death. We also get to see MJ about to get married, and then she abandons John at the altar. 
and we get her. <laughs> poor and, John. Oh, yeah, poor John is just like, what did I do? <laughs> like, here, here he is, the perfect like, guy. You know. And he's going to get left at the altar. And she runs straight for Peter's apartment and tells him that she couldn't she couldn't get married to John. She loves Peter and they kiss and then police sirens go off and MJ tells Peter to go be and that's where that's where we leave off. Yeah. <laughs> he uh yeah, she kind of like forces him into a uh not forces, but it's just like I want to make this work. I want your trust to make this work. So let's mm-hmm. make it work, please. He's like, I, I finally like, understand why you've been so wishy-washy. And she has been in love with Peter Parker and with Spider-Man in two separate capacities. And then to find out that he is one and the same, probably a great thing for her. <laughs> and she's going to go for it. So yeah, the movie ends on a high note. Um, Spider-Man's back. He's got the girl. His best friend is on his way to becoming the next big bad. Like... We're set up for some really good stuff for the I next think one, so. wouldn't you say? But we're going to go to a mid-break. Welcome to our mid-break, where we talk about all the things that aren't, you know, just uh, comic book or movie-related stuff. We have our first five-star review on Apple, which I'm going to read here real quick for you. All right. From Apollo7391. Thank you, Apollo, very much, man. Great way to get into the MCU. Five stars. So I have to admit that while I was super into the movies for a while, I have really slacked the last few years when it comes to the Marvel movies and shows. But after listening to this podcast, my interest in the universe has been rekindled. Captain Shanko and Syke do an amazing job sharing their knowledge and research for all of us plebs who need the no who need the motivation to dive back into the Marvel Universe. Five stars all day long. Thank That's really you, nice of you, man. Paolo. Thanks. <laughs> We're trying It's so here. nice to hear from everyone, and I've really enjoyed, even in the personal conversations I've had, some of the other people uh, on the Robots Network, just the positive feedback and all the love. So thank you guys so much. We really the love and the support and any subsequent views that we're going to get down the line. Thank you. And thank you, Apollo, for being our first one. Yeah, man. Uh, if you've want to get a hold of us uh it's at mcu on uh, at mcu lorecast on the twitter and at gmail.com uh we're also on the discord hit us up we're talking we were just talking about wolverine the other day <laughs> again See, this is why i hate him this is why i hate him because we can't get away from him it never ends god never ever <laughs> ends anyway yeah drop us a five star on spotify or write us a review on apple we'll read it out at any time. We really appreciate it, guys. Thank you all. All right, Psych. So, what fun stuff do you have? All right. So, as I noted earlier, this doesn't have a whole lot of new characters, which really helps get into the already established characters. So, this is going to be relatively short in terms of uh, character introductions. But we've got uh, Colonel John Jameson III. He was introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number one in December 1962 by Lee and Ditko. Uh, he's I mean, he's just kind of there. He's a character talked that talks about uh, what he's got going on. I say that he's not. His entire plot is uh, being saved by Spider-Man. Uh, that's the first issue is Spider-Man basically 
saving him from a crashing space shuttle. It was the 60s, guys. Apparently, costume vigilantes could just walk up onto, you know, heavily guarded military installations and be like, yo, I want to help out here real quick. And military's like, yeah, I guess, why not? Let's just do it. Like, I call them Spider-Man. But the reason reason I'm even talking about him is because he does go on to play a much bigger role throughout the uh, Marvel comic book line. He is the, I'm not going to call him an anti-hero, but sometimes he's a hero and sometimes he's kind of the monster of the week, but he is the man-wolf character. Um, And that is, again, crazy shenanigans related to like gemstones from the moon and bedding them in his skin and he turns into a wolf for the three uh, three days of the uh, full moon. Uh, (laughs) Again, guys, like, some crazy shenanigans were happening through these decades. And this poor guy just cannot catch a break. But we can discuss him in depth in a more in-depth char- character analysis episode or something. But I just thought I would share why he's even remotely important in this movie. Uh, we are also introduced to Dr. Curtis Connors, also known as Kurt Connors. Uh, he was first introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number six in August 1963 by Lee and Ditko. Um, uh, man, he has a messed up history. But for some trivia, he has his own stamp along with Doc Ock uh, that was issued in the in the 1970s. Um, I thought that was pretty cool that the the U.S. Postal Service was like, you know what we need? We need some comic book characters on our stamps. So here's a whole line of them, real quick. I would have, I would have been buying um, those. And the stamps. reason, <laughs> and again, the reason he's even remotely important here is that he is the villain known as the Lizard, um, which we will get into in um, in the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, but because this this Kurt Connors doesn't go anywhere. No, we see it, him, and and they don't it's they don't a, do the Lizard as a, as a character in this. At least so. Uh, he'll become more important down the line when we talk about the yes. Amazing Spider-Man. And then the big one. <laughs> Alright, and now... Yeah, and now for the big one. Dr. Otto Octavius, a.k.a. Dr. Octopus. Introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number 3, April 1963, by... You can say it all with me now. Lee and Ditko. Uh, anyway, um, oddly enough, he's the first villain to have their real name given in the initial introductory issue. So he's introduced as Otto Octavius, a.k.a. Doc Ock, and not, you know, oh, we have the villain, and oh, we find out who the villain is. I mean, I think it would have been great if they, um, if, if he'd been just Dr. Octopus, and then they say, what's your real name? And he goes, oh, Otto Octavius. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Obviously, it's a play on both his name and the fact he's now got eight limbs. So his name, his villain name kind of needed the foundational support of, oh, this is Dr. Octavius for it to be Octopus. It worked out fairly well. Yeah, I can't imagine (laughs) why. Uh, Lee is like, Lee was fanatical almost about having characters that had names that could play off into their secret identities or uh double initials 
Peter Parker, Otto Octavius, J. Jonah Jameson, you know, just having all of those repeating things. It makes it easy to remember is one of the reasons why he would do that. So it just rolls off the tongue there. Yeah, I mean, all the, all the Captain America anyway, characters that was... have President Stephen Wait, really? Grant, Sam Wilson, James Buchanan. Huh. I hadn't picked up on that one. Okay. That's that's cool. Hmm. Uh, anyway, um, the movie made, of course, you know, the big uh, modernization. Uh, his issue that where he you know, made his arms for everything was, you know, for radioactive technology, you know, handling that kind of stuff. And we moved it from that to fusion for our modern audiences. Because, again, radioactivity was big in the 60s for science fiction reasons. Like, did you just need something random to happen? Ah, radioactivity, it's fine. Now we actually get into more more complex sci-fi reasonings, is what I'm going to say. Got to evolve with the times. What's the big thing right. now, right? Yes, exactly. All right, so the movie the movie pulls basically you know two big issues you know uh, octopus's um, introduction you know, introduction and the big one for Spider Man is Spider Man No More uh, numbers fifty through fifty two by Lee and uh, uh, Lee and Romita Junior Rom Romita Romita. <clears throat> April 1977. They uh, they framed this in the film fairly directly. In the scene where Peter gives up being Spider-Man, like, stares deeply at the camera and goes, Spider-Man. And then there's a very, um, a very mirrored image of him walking down the alleyway away from the Spidey suit and the trash key, the mask, and the little hand. They they took that and transferred it directly to the shore for really big comic fans at the time. That was a Oh yeah, it was it was huge to to do that. Um, the reason and you know this that's a big one. You know, here we are, sixty seven. We were introduced to the character in sixty two, or not sixty two. That's not Spider-Man number one. But anyway, um, not many years have passed, and already the hero's like, I give up. I can't. I can't do it anymore. The the dual identity. The the fact that people hate Spider-Man all the time. Jameson, he's always on my case. And this and that. I just, I give up. I'm done. Um, but what in that line of comics, those three comics issues, um, 50, 52, yeah, three. Um, this is where Kingpin is introduced. And he starts making big, big moves into the criminal underworld. And it's one of the reasons that Spider-Man is like, I guess I gotta come back and deal with this. Since no one else is going to take care of it. But anyway, so, so those are the two, like, marrying story arcs for, for this movie. And they did they did well. Uh, for the movie, the movie um, did fin- fantastically. Critically, financially, like, above and beyond what I think anyone would have expected from a sequel superhero movie. Because again, we got to put it into the context of... Superhero movies coming out of this day and age, right? Back in two thousand four, um, it was not the case, right? Because we had we had we had X two also do very well, but again, this wasn't the norm at the time. We still are barely a decade removed from the Batman fiasco that was the nineties, and so executives and movie people they were just like, okay, 
a, a sequel is rocky territory for a superhero movie. This is where they usually fall flat. And this is where the wheels come off, the engine dies, and it just doesn't go any further. And they were wrong. In fact, so he was so wrong that Spider-Man 2 won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. This makes it the only film from Marvel to win one of those awards. Yeah, it, it was nominated for like, several Academy Awards. And then it was also it it was nominated, nominated for, for an many. awful lot of things. And it won quite a few things, too, because I'm looking at the list myself. And that's an incredible performance, mm-hmm. especially, like you said, for a superhero film, for the year it came out, and for a sequel. Um, the award for science fiction, fantasy, and horror, uh, it won... Best Actor for Tobey Maguire, Best Director, Best Special Effects, and Best Writing, and was nominated for three others with Best Supporting with from Alfred Molina, who was hands down still the best Doc Ock of all time. So much so, they didn't even think about recasting him when we come further down the line here. They were just like, no, please, just put the tentacles back on. We'll pay you whatever you want. Yeah, he's the guy for it. He completely took on that role and owned it and he made it his. And I think Mm -hmm. very few actors can say the same. I mean, comic book movie enthusiasts, we get attached real quickly to a set idea of who this character is and who we allow to play them. So it's really important to us when someone does such an amazing job that it basically like is the foundation for their comic book found like, knowledge or their love for it like nah this guy he did such an amazing job bringing this character to life that no one else could ever do it that's Mm -hmm. just the way it is and then for i guess what was kind of happening at the time of the movie's release um we had a separate spider-man line of comics going on that was removed from uh the main continuity which is called a 616 universe And this was the ultimate Spider-Man line of comics. This was the line of comics that got me into comic books at all. I loved this series. I was devastated the way it all ended. So much so I could not buy any more after Ultimatum. So all that being said, um, this was an amazing, amazing comic book run that I do recommend some that if you are looking to get into something that doesn't have quite the baggage that <laughs> comic books have, I recommend the Ultimate line of comics. They were very good up to a point. So this was introduced in September 2000 by uh, Mark Bagley and Brian Michael Bendis. These guys, as a duo, were phenomenal. They would go on to have the longest run of writer and artist for 111 issues beating out lee and ditko who had held that title on their fantastic four run um and so uh yeah that's 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 all i've got i guess really uh, this uh this movie had a um a video game release as well uh, alongside it which to my memory yes it was did very good <laughs> Yes, um, Spider-Man 2, released for the PlayStation 2 at the time, was one of the first games to allow you to go through New York. It opened up New York City as a world, 
as a sandbox world to play in. Uh, for the PlayStation 2, that was, like, stretching the boundaries of its capabilities. And it did it amazingly well. Um, it was also the first game to attach Spider-Man's webbing to actual places. Up until then, Spider-Man would just swing through, but he was... You could tell he... he he wasn't attaching to any skyscraper nearby. He was already on the rooftops of places that he was swinging over. Um, like, uh, again, uh, one of my absolute favorite Spider-Man games uh, for the PlayStation, Spider-Man 2 Enter Electro. Again, like, this was... I loved this game so much. But uh, he didn't attach... Like, if you swung through places, there wasn't anywhere that he was attaching to. It was just the skybox at the top. They just the webbing attached to the playstation 2 game grounded you you had to have a building to web swing around otherwise you just were falling yeah that, that it went on to release uh, across you, almost every platform at the time too because there was definitely demand it, it, it performed fairly mm-hmm. well especially for uh, i mean most movie video games don't tend to perform but i i personally know so many people that have played this game and that it's and it's such a nostalgic game, a lot of people oh, yeah like like tie-in video game uh movie video games are usually the worst because of their rust rushed production more than likely they're hamstrung hamstringed by the plot of the movie so you can you can only deviate so much from it and uh, you know give give the player other things to do other than the plot like this one broke molds it just it, it busted down barriers on how a video a tie-in video game or movie video game could be played and created it's a shame that uh so many still didn't learn that lesson going forward <laughs> but here's the standard all right it's this spider-man so game is everyone else do what this game did, and everyone else said, "Nah, that's." Too- <laughs> yeah. Now, I, it's it's unfair to say about uh, to like game developers because again, like I was saying, you're you're trapped in certain confines, and some of those other confines are you know, budget production, budget produ- uh, production budget staffing. You know, just what tools you have available to play with. You know, there's a lot of things that go into making a video game. And it doesn't help at all to be like, oh yeah, by the way, like, the story's done, you just have to allow the player to actually do anything in it. That's really hard to do, actually. And that's why I'm saying that these games don't normally do so well. I think with these, uh, I mean, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard, but with the films that are, are good, it's there's almost less to talk about. Um because it's, it's easy to pick apart a movie that has a lot of things wrong with it. I mean, this is very evident, like X3, when we talked about X3. We had a lot of topics, but I mean, this, for me even, I think this one tops out over even the first one, uh, Spider-Man 1, for me as far as a film. Because, mm-hmm. you know, even though we only got to see a little bit of Willem Dafoe as the Goblin, he's still there. He's great. Um, Alfred Molina does a fantastic job as dr otto octavius and as i've personally stated and how i feel about it is i really really like to see to i like toby Maguire's peter Parker. he's the dorky awkward bullyable guy that i want to see and i mean this yep. is now it's a 10 year old film 
And I enjoyed watching it for this podcast purpose just as much now as I did when I forgot how much of this movie I actually recalled until I was watching it again. And I really hope that stuff like this, like, like this show, make people excited about the old films as the nostalgia that I have for some of the Marvel films is just incredible. And I want more people to experience that. Yeah, same, same. Like, we love these things because uh, as that's what we... Yeah, this was yeah. nostalgic media for us. Comforting to see. I've always, I've always loved these superhero films. This movie, it's up there as, as one of my most nostalgic. Maybe not my favorite overall, but definitely one I have no comments about. <laughs> I think that's where we end the show today. Um, next time we'll be talking about Spider-Man Three. I know you and I have chatted a little bit. And we definitely have some both ways. Yeah, because uh, Spider-Man Two is a high point. We're gonna find the Valley, guys. That's. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. The, the, the old third film curse <laughs> moving forward. Yes. But, uh, we'll talk about all those feelings next week. Get together to talk about Spider-Man. And as always, if you guys are liking what you're hearing, check us out on the Discord. We're available across all social media as MCU Lorecast. You can contact us through email at mculorecast.com and reach out. Leave us those five-star reviews on Spotify, on Apple Music. Rate us on Stitcher, follow us everywhere that you can, and if you like us and you think your friends will like us, share the show with them. We really, really, really appreciate everyone that's listening. We see you guys. Really, really excited to keep bringing them. Till next time. Bye, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In 7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music. Our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this. And you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora. And all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, Come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon.